Well, let's go to Joshua chapter 3 today. Uh, While you are turning there, let me just address a couple of things concerning this, what I've called since February, this diabolical COVID-19, this coronavirus. Um, As I said in the opening, several have asked us if we'll continue to gather. We will unless our local authorities tell us not to. Uh, I want to talk to you just for a moment, just if you'll give me a couple moments here, just to talk to you pastorally about what I think is going on and what I think you, you should respond. You don't have to do this, but this is just, um, I'll tell you how me and my family feel. I think that, number one, you cannot lose sight of the fact, number one, we are people of faith. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean that we're not sensible. I think there's a fine balance between being sensible and being a person of faith. So what are the sensible things that we ought to be doing? Well, I'll just tell you what it looks like for me and my family. We try to be prepared for anything. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, You should divide your portions between seven and eight because you do not know the calamity that may come upon the earth. Isn't that a timely scripture for today? Because the fact is our world has changed just since last Sunday. Is that right or wrong? Literally, our world has changed this week. And... And I think the changes that we're seeing will result in some permanent change in our culture, in our society. But as people of faith, we, among all people, ought to be the most prepared. Because this is what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We are not children of the night that these things should overtake us. We are children of the day. So what does that mean? I think it means that we're emotionally prepared. I think it means we are spiritually prepared. I think it means we are relationally prepared. I think it means, and I'm saying for me and my family, I think that means we are provisionally prepared. I've talked to the church a number of times throughout the years. I haven't in a long time, so if you're relatively new to the church, you may not know, but I believe deeply, biblically, in putting back. I personally believe you should always have a month's supply of food on hand. I think you should always have your medicines or whatever you need. I think the Bible, by and large, overall, in its entirety, teaches preparedness. The Bible says in Proverbs, look to the ant, O sluggard. Look to the ant who puts back its food in the summer for winter. And again, the Bible says you don't know the calamity that may come upon the earth. That calamity may be something like a pandemic, which is the first pandemic you and I have ever seen in our lifetime. There have been epidemics, but never, not since, at least according to my knowledge, not since 1918, the Spanish influenza. We have not known a global pandemic. But that disaster may be a pandemic. It could be 
a natural disaster. It could be as simple as a job loss. And have you been wise to put back? Have you been wise to store? I'm I'm just telling you for my family, it has saved us in the past. We went through a series of financial tornadoes in 2012. Sadie and I had not been married all that long, but ever since we got married, we have been serious about putting back. And in 2012, you probably didn't have any interruption, but Sadie and I call it the Great Depression of 2012. And it was such a disastrous time for us personally, financially. There were multiple weeks that by the time we paid everything we had to pay, literally, and I don't exaggerate, we had $10 to go to the grocery store. But do you know how many meals we missed? Zero. You know why? Because we aggressively put back. Our rule of thumb is you store what you eat and you eat what you store. We don't go crazy. We don't go and empty out and get everything. We, uh, we, we get what we need and we use what we get. But we always keep back. A friend of mine went to Sam's Club and posted pictures of the shelves on Monday and they were empty. Thank God we didn't have to rush out because we follow the biblical example, the biblical pattern of putting back. We don't make it exuberant. And, and again, we store what we eat, we eat what we store. Pastorally, I want to encourage you, coronavirus aside, be prepared people. The Bible teaches that. You say, oh, but you should just trust in the Lord. I do trust in the Lord. And I trust that the Lord has given me a good enough examples in the Bible to not take for granted times of abundance and not pretend like it's always going to be there. So I want to encourage you pastorally, don't go into debt. Don't take credit cards and go buy out Sam's Club. Don't go buy all the toilet paper, all right? Don't go crazy, but ask the Lord what you should do for you and your family so that when times of calamity come, no matter what that looks like, you're prepared and the Lord has you well taken care of, amen? So as we face this pandemic and as we pray uh, what I want to do right now. President Trump has asked that today be a national day of prayer. And I want to honor that right now. And I want us to pray for our city. I want us to pray for our region. I want us to pray for the frontline medical workers. I want us to pray for those who do have this virus, that they're going to recover. I want us to pray for the most vulnerable, that God's going to protect them, those who are most susceptible to this. Can we pray right now that God's going to help our country and God's going to help the world? Let's pray right now. Almighty God, we come to you knowing the sins of our land. You know them well, Lord. They rise before you. You know the sins of this country. 
And right now, God, we, your people, the people of God, the people of faith, the people of salvation, God, we repent on behalf of our people. We repent on behalf of this country. And we ask, oh God, for your great forgiveness over us and over our great sins against you. And God, we're asking in the midst of this pandemic, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, that heaven would help us in this hour. That God, you would protect our people. You would protect our country. And in fact, God, you would protect the world, especially those in countries where they don't have a health system. There's no hospital bed for them to go to. There's no ventilators for them. There are no medicines for them. They're truly left to themselves. God, I pray that this will be a time, an hour in the world that men and women would once again put their eyes upon you and put their faith and put their hope within the living God. We've trusted in economics. We've trusted in our jobs. We've trusted in our leaders. We've trusted in our health care. Could it be that we've been brought to a point where nothing and no one can help us except for you, O oh God? And here we have snubbed our nose at you for so long. God, we repent and we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would engage your compassion toward us and pour your grace upon us and have mercy upon us and bring healing to our country, God. We pray for the medical doctors, for the nurses, for EMS workers, for emergency room workers, for everyone, God, who's going to be on the front lines of this pandemic, that, God, you'll have great care for them, and great energy and great stamina and great faith. And God, we pray for those who are the most vulnerable to this, those who are the most susceptible, that you, God, would give them great protection. Give your angels, encamp your angels around them, God. And God, we pray for those who already have the virus, that they will indeed recover. That God, you'll protect our nursing homes and protect those, God, who are most at risk. God, will you help our society to once again look to you and may a great revival stir and burn out of this calamity, God. So we, your people, we repent and we ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask, oh God, for your compassion. And we ask God that you be more active on the earth today than you've ever been. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's go to Joshua chapter three today. <coughs> We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4 as we discuss the crossing of the Jordan River. Now, we often sing in songs that the crossing of the Jordan River represents a time of death. Most commentators would disagree with that. Not to say that gospel songs that compare Jordan to death, not to say that that's unbiblical or in error. I wouldn't say that at all. I wouldn't argue that in the least. 
But for our purposes on talking about living a victorious Christian life, I want to talk very distinctly today. What does it mean to cross Jordan? (laughs) What does it mean for our own personal lives? What does it mean to take God at his word and to be led by God into unknown territory? If you've been with us through some of this series, we're in week three of a series called Triumph. We finished last month the series called Battling Unbelief. We have followed this new generation of Israel. (coughs) Excuse me, it's important to remember this is not the parents who crossed, who came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. They've all died off in the wilderness. What we're talking about now, what we've been following since February through the wilderness, through um, up through now the death of Moses, the transition of Joshua, this is a new generation. These are the, the, the sons and the daughters that grew up on the way. They grew up in the wilderness. They didn't know the Red Sea. And they didn't, they didn't know Egypt. They only heard stories of what, of what God did, of God's power at the Red Sea. But they're getting ready to see for themselves what God was able to do. So if you've been with us in the series in week one, <coughs> excuse me, really regret going to Italy, but I got back in time. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Some people are getting ready to leave. I'm kidding. <coughs> Sorry. That's a terrible joke, but anyways. We talked in week one, we called that losing ground already won because for 40 years, Israel had forfeited the great promises of God. We talked last week in week two, we called that the scarlet thread, household salvation. We saw the faith of one woman, Rahab, who was a prostitute. If you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen on our app, Awakened to Grace. Rahab was a prostitute, and what is remarkable about about Rahab that we saw last week is not only is she mentioned later in the Bible in Peter, not only is she mentioned in the great hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, but Rahab, this harlot, this prostitute of Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, (coughs) She is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the actual family lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. And for Jesus Christ to not be embarrassed or not be ashamed, to have a prostitute for crying out loud in his family history, then you know what that tells me, church? That tells me that Christ is not ashamed, nor is he embarrassed by my sin, nor by your sin. God is proud to have you in his family today. God is proud to have redeemed you from sin, amen? And Satan would tell you, oh, God's embarrassed by you. You should be embarrassed. Absolutely not. God is proud to have you in his family. And now we're gonna transition in the book. (coughs) Excuse me. We're gonna see the faith of one individual. We're going to go from the faith of Rahab from one person in chapter two to now we're going to see the faith of the whole country in chapter three. We're going to see the faith of all the people. 
Now to give us some background information on, on Jordan, the River Jordan is not a massive river. As a matter of fact, in normal times, the river is only about 100 feet wide. To put that into perspective, our auditorium is about 100 feet wide. So if you look from wall to wall, maybe add another 15, 20 feet, but that would be about what you would be looking at to cross the Jordan River opposite Jericho where they were. That is still though, when you add this to the mix, you're not talking about just the healthy men of war. You're not just talking about the 40,000 men of war that could have swam or crossed that river. We're talking about an entire people group. We're talking about an entire nation. Scholars tell us that at this point in Israel's history, there were probably up to a million to 1.5 million Israelites. How in the world could 1.5 million Israelites cross this 100-foot river? How could they get their little ones across? How could they get their livestock across and their cattle across? How could they get their tents? <coughs> I'm sorry, please pray for me. And how could they get all of their provisions? How were you gonna get all that across a 100-foot river? And then to make matters even worse, <laughs> the Bible is gonna tell us that this is at harvest time. And what we know about the Jordan is at harvest time, when it overflows its banks, no longer is it a river of about 100 feet. Instead, it is a river that is one mile wide. And now Israel comes to the banks of the river, and it's a mile wide. And how is over one million people going to cross? Have you ever found that the Lord sometimes treats you this way? God will lead you to a place. He'll tell you to go somewhere, tell you to do something. He'll begin to work in your heart. He'll give you great promises. He'll speak to you about things concerning your future, about what he's able to do, what he wants to do, what his will is for you. And then all of a sudden, you come across a great impossibility. Anyone know what I'm talking about today? And it seems as though God has made a great mistake. Because if God says the land is that way, if God says the victory is that way, if God says you must cross over Jordan, okay, God, how are we going to do that? You think they were able to construct a bridge wide enough? You think they could have created boats and made rafts? And got 1.5 million people and cattle and livestock and everything else? One at a time, impossible. We'll learn in our last week in the book of Joshua, we'll learn about the great walls of Jericho and what archaeologists tell us about the walls of Jericho. Not only are they opposite Jericho, not only does chapter four say that when they crossed, the mighty men of war came into the great plains of Jericho, but archaeologists tell us that within the walls of Jericho was a watchtower of 28 feet up in the air. You don't think Jericho's watching them? You don't think Jericho is seeing 1.5 million people gather on the opposite side of the Jordan? If they had taken their time crossing, they'd have been sitting ducks. They could have never won the war. God was going to have to act. 
God was gonna have to do something supernatural. But what was God going to do? It amazes me that when God told Joshua to cross over, we shared in week one, Joshua said, prepare yourself for in three days, we're gonna cross over. (laughs) Friends, they weren't building bridges. They weren't constructing boats. They were taking God at his actual, literal word. As they come to the banks of the Jordan. Now, there's something interesting that makes this story totally different. They had with them what was called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. If you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was, it was basically a piece of furniture that God instructed Moses to create. It was this large box. Inside of it were certain artifacts of Israel from their history. There were the two tablets, uh, stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments that God carved with his very finger on Mount Sinai. There was manna in that ark that God provided supernaturally from heaven. There was Moses' rod in that ark. And these <coughs> and what made the ark so special was not just the artifacts that were in it, it was that it had cherubims on it. And between that was the presence of God. Once a year on the most holy day, they would take sacrifice and they would sprinkle blood for the forgiveness of sins. And God chose for that time period, God chose to dwell upon that ark, the very literal manifested presence of God was on that ark. No one was allowed to touch the ark except the priest. If you were to touch the ark, you would fall over dead. That's how serious God took his holiness. That's how serious God took his presence. And the people of Israel knew and they understood that the very literal presence of God was in their midst. In this portion of crossing the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 16 individual times. That's how dominant it is in this story. When we get to chapter six and they march around the mighty walls of Jericho, they were led by the Ark of the Covenant. What does that symbolize to us? It symbolizes you ought to not do anything apart from the presence of God. When Moses said, God, are you telling us to go forward? Moses literally told God in the tent of meeting, I'll not go anywhere unless your presence goes with us. And what a strong statement the presence of God is as it's mentioned 16 times in this one section of scripture. And so the people of God gather on that side of the Jordan not knowing what God is going to do. I believe Joshua knew, but the people, here's what Joshua told the, told the people in chapter three. He said, watch, for God's gonna work wonders in our midst today. But there was something very important that Joshua told the people, very important. Before he told them that God would work wonders in the midst, this is what he told them to do. The day before, he said, consecrate yourselves. Do you know what that meant in biblical days to consecrate yourself? It was quite a sacrifice. See, in today's world, 
most of us, most of us, we shower daily, right? I hope we do. (laughs) We shower daily. A bath isn't a big deal to us, is it? To see in this day, in the wilderness, living in the wilderness, even, even in Bible days, just in, in Judea alone, water was a luxury. You didn't waste water for nothing. What it meant to consecrate yourself was two things. You were to bathe, very costly, very precious. You didn't waste water. And you were to change your clothing. Again, today, we throw clothing away like they are rags. But in this day, oh, you protected your clothing. If you had a change of clothing, you protected it. Very costly. And what Joshua told the people to do was to consecrate themselves before the Lord. They were to bathe and they were to change their clothes. What it was symbolic of was a new day with the Lord, a new beginning with God. That's what it symbolized. It meant that, God, we're we're gonna take you at your word and this is a new beginning between me and you. You know, church, today we are to consecrate ourselves. The Bible doesn't instruct us to bathe or to change our clothes. It's much deeper than that. It's much more sacrificial than that. The Bible says we are to be people of clean hands and a pure heart. We are to consecrate our lives of sin. We are to have a pure conscience before God. We are to have sin rid out of our hearts and out of our lifestyle. And today, if there is sin running rampant in your life, if there is sin that is overthrown in your life, if there is sin that is dominated in your life, I cannot encourage you enough, consecrate yourself unto the Lord. Purify your heart. Purify your hands. In other words, purify the outward. Purify your lifestyle. Purify the inward. Purify the outward. And consecrate yourself. You want to see God move in your life? You want to see God do the impossible? You want to watch God do the supernatural? Consecrate yourself. Then you'll see the wonder working power of God in your life. Just as Israel did. And so here they are. We're at the banks of Israel at the banks of Jordan with Israel. It's time of harvest. The water has overflowed its banks. We're looking out over a mile across this river. How am I gonna transport my little ones? How am I gonna get my wife? How am I gonna get my tents? How am I gonna get my belongings? How am I gonna get my cattle and my livestock? How am I gonna get over to the promised land? here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, take my ark. In other words, take my presence. I'm so glad to tell you today, church, the presence of God no longer dwells in an ark of covenant. Do you know where the ark of covenant is? No one knows. And I think that's how God wants it. Even if someone, even if archaeologists found it, it wouldn't matter because that's not where the Lord is. God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. God doesn't dwell even in empty church buildings. Do you know where God dwells today? 
within his people. Amen. Christ dwells within our hearts. We are infilled. We are empowered. We are enabled by the very Holy Spirit of God. That's why we should be people of miracles. That's why we should see God do wondrous works in our midst. That's why when we pray, we should see things happen because we have the very literal presence of God within us. Hallelujah. But do we live like it? Do we pray like it? Do we sacrifice like it? Do we honor God? In a way that says, I acknowledge that the very presence of God that was in the Ark of the Covenant, I acknowledge that the very Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and inside of my mortal flesh. Are we people of faith like that? Because according to the Bible, all of that is true. But do we live like it? So this was the instruction of God. Take my presence. Take the Ark of the Covenant. You tell the priest to step into the water. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a priest and I was stepping into a river that was a mile wide that had overflowed its banks, I'd be a little nervous about carrying God into that river. Would you? I'd be a little nervous about tripping over a stone, sliding off a rock, and dropping God right in the river, right? Would you be nervous about that? I'd be pretty nervous. I'd be standing there holding it saying, God, how about you part the waters before I step in and risk dropping you? How many of you know God doesn't work that way? God doesn't work that way. It would have been very nice if when Israel came up to the banks, if the waters had already parted. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that have been convenient? Wouldn't it have been great if Israel had stood there along the banks and the waters was already parted and they said, look what our God has done, let's go. But see, God doesn't work that way. Some of you, God's told you things he'll do in your life, in your family. Some of you, you've believed God for many years for something. But you've not seen it materialize. And so you've wondered, has has his word failed? Has God forgotten me? Has God forgot about me? Has he abandoned me? No, my friends, do you know how God operates? Is often we have to step into the water. We have to get our feet wet. We have to take steps of obedience. We have to take steps of faith. We have to do what looks to other people like it's illogical. We have to do what looks like to other people that it's absurd. But what it says to God is I believe in you and I believe that you are God that you will do what you say you'll do. Whether I see it or not, you'll do it. And sometimes it takes that kind of radical faith. Are you a person of radical faith today? That you're willing to get your feet wet? You're willing to step out where it's uncomfortable. You're willing willing to step out where it's unknown. And yet you're willing to say, I trust that God is gonna do precisely what God has already told me he will do. And not one word of his will fail. Takes faith to do that. I look back over the years of this church and I think back when we started, you're talking about stepping into Jordan. (laughs) You're talking about stepping out in faith. 
you realize that when we started, we didn't own anything. We didn't own any chairs. We didn't own the building. We didn't own uh, any, we didn't have any singers. We didn't have any musicians. We didn't have anything. I'm talking nothing. Some of you don't know. I went to Lifeway to buy offering plates about two weeks before our first service and I couldn't afford offering plates. Those suckers are $200 a set and I couldn't afford offering plates. I thought I was gonna have to go to KFC and get chicken buckets. And I thought, oh Lord, I don't wanna do that. And a little lady in our church, a little elderly lady, Betty Hawkins, she passed away of cancer in 2003. She went to Carolina Pottery and she made us our first homegrown, homemade set of offering plates. <laughs> we didn't have anything. We couldn't afford anything. We didn't have teachers. We didn't have small groups. We didn't have singers. We didn't have musicians. We didn't have kids' church. Crying out loud, we didn't have any kids. We didn't have anything. But you know what we did? By faith, we stepped into the Jordan. By faith, we got our feet wet. By faith, we didn't know who God would send. We didn't know how we'd pay for it. We didn't know where we'd be. We didn't know where we were going. But what we knew is God said, go forward. What we knew is that there was a promised land ahead of us. And see, here's the thing with Israel. God told them every place that the sole of your feet touches, that's the ground that you're gonna own. And the remarkable thing is even after Israel settled the land, there was still much of it that they never claimed. And so it is today in our spiritual lives. Much, much, much of the promises of God for our lives remain yet unclaimed. And they're for us. God says, take me at my word. See if I won't be faithful. Hallelujah, amen? I'm telling you, we're, you, you have no idea. You just don't know. You don't know the struggle that, that we went through. When we were at our old building, there was a little hallway that had this little cubby hole right next to my office. It had this little cubby hole just built into the wall. And you'd miss it if you weren't looking for it. And we move into this building and we can't afford anything. Uh, I, I, I don't get a salary at all. And we're just by faith. And do you know what the Lord told me to do with that cubby hole? I'll never forget it. The Lord told me, and see, I, I was young and I didn't know anything and God, was, God, had, to, God had to put me on training wheels, right? And... Uh, these were the little training wheels that God put, put on me. God said, I want you every month, before the month begins. See, I was young and dumb. I, wouldn't have, I would have waited until after the month was over. But the Lord was very specific. And the Lord said, before the month begins, okay? Because again, I was young. You had to teach me. The Lord said, I want you to write out, handwrite every bill the church has. I want you to handwrite it out. And here's what the Lord told me. The Lord said, the beginning of every month, take that list of bills and put it in the cubby hole. Now, how absurd is that? Does that sound silly to you? 
Could God not have found it if it was laying on my desk? I don't know. My desk was pretty messy back then. He may not have. Why did God want it in a cubby hole, in an obscure hallway? Had nothing to do with the cubby hole. Had to do with my faith. And do you know what the Lord told me? It's so precious. The Lord said, Chad, every month I'll pass by. I'll read your list. And every month I'll pay the bills. And do you know what God did? Every month he was faithful to do it. Do you know why I think the Lord did that? Can I get real with you right now? Say amen if you're with me. Let me get real with you. Because when God parted the walls, the, when God parted the waters of Jericho, uh, of Jordan, what the people, listen, they were within eyeshot of Jericho. <laughs> within days, they were going to be marching around the mighty walls, the unpenetrable walls of Jericho. They didn't have the ability. They didn't have the strength. They didn't have the cleverness. They didn't have the intelligence. They didn't have the military might. There was no way the walls of Jericho were going to fall unless the presence of God did it, amen? But see, do you know what was right behind them? When they're walking around the walls of Jericho, feeling like a fool, saying, we don't know why God's doing this. We don't know what God's, God just said march. We're gonna follow the Ark of the Covenant. You know what they got a glimpse of? The Jordan, (laughs) Back when God parted the waters and they had to put faith in their heart to say, if God parted the waters of Jordan, he'll bring down the walls of Jericho, amen? And now all these years later, I look back and as I'm facing blindness and I'm saying, God, how can you do what seems impossible? How can you do what no one thinks you can do? How can you do what even Duke University can't do? I can go back to that cubby hole. I can go back to those times that God was so faithful to me. I can go back times that God has never failed me. He's never let me down. And I still got a glimpse of Jordan. And I remember what God's done on my behalf. And now as I march through the walls of Jericho, I am beyond confident that the God who parted the waters then will bring the walls down today. Amen. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that you serve. Do we act like it? Do we believe like it? Do we take God at his word? And so my question this morning is very simple. Will you step into the water? Will you get your feet wet? Before you see the miracle, before God comes through, before you see what God said he would do for you, will you get your feet wet? And will you obey God? Because I'm telling you, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And thank God that his presence doesn't abide in a building. His presence abides in us. What can we do if we take hold of the promises of God? Israel for 40 years gave up land that was theirs. What have you given up on? What have you quit believing for? What have you thought in your head, God's forgotten me? My friends, it may be that God has not forgot you at all. It may be that God's waiting on you to get into Jordan. God may be waiting for you to step into the unknown. 
to get into what feels scary, to get into where you're gonna have to trust God. Why don't we stand today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I don't know where your faith is today, but I tell you this, God wants it to grow. God wants it to explode. God wants it to become strong again. I can't help but feel in my heart right now that I'm talking to some people, whether you're in the building or you're online, I can't help but feel that I'm talking to some people that you've let go of faith. Weeks turned into months and months turned into years. And you feel like God's left you. You feel like God forgot you. My friend, I'm telling you right now on the authority of God's word, that is not the case. That is not the case. I want to invite you today to come to this altar and let your faith be renewed. Make it an act of obedience of saying, God, I'm stepping into Jordan. Make this altar today your Jordan River and come down here today and say, God, I am stepping in to Jordan. I'm getting my feet wet today. I'm gonna step into the unknown I'm gonna step into what's unfamiliar. I'm gonna step into what's uncomfortable. But I know you're not gonna fail. I know your word is gonna be performed. I know you're not gonna let me down. You come right now and you pray and you say, God, by faith today, I step into Jordan. You come right now, you that God is working in your heart, you you that need, you you know what you need to say to the Lord. I want you to come right now. Come right now. You that are watching online, you pray right now. Wherever you are, you pray right now. God, I'm gonna step into Jordan. I'm not gonna lose my faith any longer. I'm not gonna sit on my heels any longer. I'm not gonna be like the other generation that wandered in the wilderness because they wouldn't trust God. I'm not gonna forfeit the promises of God. I'm gonna step into the river. I'm gonna step into the river. Oh God, make us people of faith today. Make us people of faith today. People that believe you with all our hearts. And before we see the outcome, before we see any miracles, before we see you do what you say you'll do, God, we take you at your word. We take you at your word. We take you, God, at your word. We take you at your word, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (coughs) We take you at your word, oh God. We take you at your word. While people are praying, don't miss your opportunity to obey God. Don't miss your opportunity to get serious with the Lord. Don't miss it. have a past tense faith I don't want to have a past tense hope oh God I want to look to the future you're a present help in the time of my trouble you're the God of my tomorrows God you're already in my tomorrows you're already there and you see what I cannot see you see what lies ahead and you've already given me the victory You've already given me the victory. God, I pray for people right now 
those of us who we need the Jordan waters to part. This, what feels like a mile wide river, God, we need the waters to part. (coughs) Would you part the waters on our behalf? On our behalf, God, for your great name, for your great glory, part the waters, Lord God. Part the waters. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart, oh God. Hallelujah. (coughs) While these are praying, let me tell you what I didn't tell you. I don't want to forget this. Not only did God part the waters a mile wide, (laughs) you know, in, in my mind's eye, I picture a pathway through the water, you know, like a path. No, 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 no. We're talking 1.5 million people. God parted the waters, listen to this, 20 miles long. (laughs) The waters parted one mile wide, 20 miles long. And not only did they walk over, they walked over on dry ground. You know what that tells me? Your foot's not gonna slip. Some of you are worried about falling. You're worried about slipping. You're worried about going into temptation. You're worried about falling away from the Lord. No, let me tell you what he did. He made the ground dry, dry ground to walk on. Your feet are gonna be steady. Your ways are gonna be sure. Cause when God does what he's gonna do in your life, it's gonna be a good work, a solid work, a steady work, amen. And you're not gonna stumble. You're not going to trip. You're not going to fall. They didn't walk over in steeped mud. They walked over a mile wide, 20 miles deep, dry ground. Only God can do that. Amen. Only God. And God will do it in your life. And he'll do it in my life. So, Lord, we invite your presence into our daily activities. We invite your presence into our daily decisions. We invite your presence into our hard decisions. We invite your presence into our trials and the areas that feel so uncomfortable. We invite your very presence. And, God, we ask that you take us over, Jordan. You lead us into the land of victory. You take us to those walls of Jericho. You lead us, Lord. And we're not going to forfeit anything that God has for us. We're going to take hold of the great and very promises of God. We're going to take hold of them. We're going to believe them. We're going to practice them. We're going to live in them. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. While others are praying, I'll tell you this. I'm just telling you, church. The Lord wants you to live an extraordinary life in the presence of God. You realize that most of the things that I have a front row seat to God doing, 
Do you know the majority of them I don't share publicly? The vast majority I don't share publicly. It's because I don't ever want to make a a spectacle out of people's lives. But you wouldn't believe the things. You just, you really wouldn't believe them. And a while back, someone did something for us and I had eyesight then and I made a little post on Facebook and it just blew up. I mean, people just out of the woodwork was just like, I can't believe that. And it was just, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not making light of this an inch. It was just a normal day. It was just, a, it was just, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And I told Sadie, I said, I said, I, I can't believe people are reacting this way. And she said, this was a few years ago. And she said, Chad, I hate to tell you this way, but you're not a normal person. She said, normal things don't happen to you. And I got to thinking about that. Let me tell you, when you live in the will of God, in the presence of God, you'll see extraordinary things. You'll see extraordinary things. So I want to encourage you pastorally today. If you're not in the water, get in the water. Be obedient. Become obedient. And watch God do extraordinary things in your life because he's eager to. Amen.